From McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice, I'm Sean Brown, and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. Our friends at the Future of America podcast recently published a conversation between IBM CFO and Senior Vice President Jim Cavanaugh and McKinsey Senior Partner and CFO Eric Kutcher. Jim and Eric's discussion focused on how CFOs and other business leaders can continue to deliver sustainable, inclusive growth in the current challenging environment. They discuss the importance of resilience and imperatives for today's business leaders around talent, recruitment, and retention. And it's our pleasure to share their conversation with you today on Inside the Strategy Room. We've included links for you to subscribe to the Future of America podcast in the show notes, along with a link to the transcript of the episode on McKinsey.com. We hope you enjoy the discussion. So Jim, welcome, and thanks so much for being here today. Oh, Eric, thanks so much for having me, and I'm excited as always to talk to you. So Jim, just because I want to make sure everyone, all the listeners get to know you a little bit, just tell us a little bit about you and your background. Sure. You know, I'm with IBM now coming up on my 26th year. So I joined IBM in 1996. I've held numerous financial roles across the company internationally, and I was appointed the IBM CFO in January of 2018. So reflecting on that, driving in today, thinking about this great conversation here, uh, I'm in my fifth year, how fast things go. Uh, But I'm sure we're going to get into more of that throughout this podcast here and in the challenges and the opportunities of the role of CFO. But as part of the CFO, I also have responsibility for all finance and operations across the company. I have the stewardship responsibility that really, as I always tell my teams, is at the epicenter of how you run a company. Everything from strategy, portfolio optimization, the financial management and all the operations for the company, including our CIO, our chief data office, our supply chain, our operations. So very happy to be here with you today and uh, and have a good conversation. Uh, it's awesome, Jim. And there's a bunch you've already said that just resonates. We'll talk a little bit about the role of the CFO for sure, because I think it really has evolved. And at least for me, you know, uh, you and I talk about a little bit about both having played sports uh, growing up and even into college. And I was a catcher and catcher was that position that no one wanted to play. I was a nose guard in football and they, <laughs> no one wants to play that either. <laughs> it's exactly right. And, and, you know, what I remember was, you know, everyone kept saying, oh, why would you ever do that? And so forth. And when I got, when I, when I took on this role a few years ago, everyone would start with, oh, my condolences. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is the greatest job on earth, right? It's like just like being back on the diamond. I can see the whole field. I know where the defense is set up. And, and it just really resonates because it talks a lot to you know, what you just said, the, the scope of the role and, and a lot of kind of what you do day to day, frankly, is an enabler of the organization, right? And I think that is something that, that I certainly um, uh, think about. It sounds like you do as well. Oh, m- most definitely, Eric. And you know, catcher, nose guard and football have a lot of similarities because you're at the core uh, of how you actually play. But the role of CFO, I think, is changing dramatically. And I had a chance, a unique opportunity four years ago, five years ago, prior to the CFO role to step out of finance and lead the next evolution of the IBM company and become the IBM company's chief transformation officer. But, you know, I think that is very important in really what's required of all of us as CFOs of companies. You got to have that broad-based knowledge and experience overall. 
You know, one of the things, Jim, that I'd love to chat a little bit about is we talk a lot about this notion of sustainable, inclusive growth. And in this case, let's talk a little bit about the U.S., that we have to create a sustainable United States, one that is also inclusive and is also growing. And then those things are, by definition, kind of pulling at each other. And what does that mean to you and how you think about both terms, what it means for, frankly, what you have to do each and every day and kind of where IBM goes uh, as an organization? I do not think there's been a more important time for the role of a CFO than today's day. It's important that we're having these conversations here as there's so much going on in the world right now that we're all dealing with. You're you're coming out of Davos as we speak right now. Um, But I think we all can agree that the past two years have been challenging, both professionally and personally for many people around the world. We have, we faced an ongoing health crisis that turned into a social crisis that went to an economic crisis, and now, unfortunately, a humanitarian crisis with the war in Ukraine. But the fact of the matter is people are making decisions, different decisions than where we were three, five, three to five years ago. And I believe they're challenging the purpose of organizations, businesses, and leadership. And as we talk about sustainability and inclusivity, with that combination of the foundation for growth, that's what the priorities of people are, are, are today. So I truly believe you asked about what, you know, today's day and CFO and sustainability, inclusivity, growth. I truly believe that history will be written about these times that we've been operating in here today. As a CFO, we're always, Eric, as you know quite well, focused on what? Productivity, efficiency, operational stability, liquidity. But I think these times will be less about pure financials and more about a culture. And when I think about culture, you know, at IBM, so let me give a little uh, shout out to, to my company. At IBM, we have a framework. You know, we've been in existence for 111 years. We have a framework around culture that's really grounded in purpose, united in values, and demonstrated through growth behaviors. Purpose are why we exist. Values are what we believe and behaviors are how we act. And I think it couldn't be, there could be no better time right now than to your question, taking all that into account. You know, it is interesting. Leadership today feels just so different. And then I think it probably felt a little bit ago, right? So, you know, even the BRT came out and kind of shifted its orientation away from pure shareholder to stakeholder. And I think the expectation of what are the institutions that we are part of mean to our people, right? And frankly, what they what it means for the society and the impact they have is just greater. And the responsibility that we have each and every day is is um, much much greater than I think it was probably in the past. Or at least it feels that way. And I think it also means just as leaders, we're a little bit in the unknown, right? And it and it's yeah. hard. It really, I think it really does force us to think outside probably our comfort zone because. None of us as leaders have had to deal with a war, right? None of us have dealt with a supply chain shock of this magnitude, at least not as leaders, right? Most of us were pretty young kids when that happened. And so I think it's sort of recentering where we all are and kind of forcing us to think. And, you know, I I know it's hard. And I know, at least for me, I don't feel like I get it right most days, but but it doesn't, it's not because we're not trying. Not at all. So, you know, coming out of Davos, um, we're coming, I'm just wrapping up uh, what was, was a pretty intense few days. And, 
the mood is interesting, right? The mood here in Davos feels very much um, a bit more somber than I would have said I've heard in the past. Um, and I think that's reflective of a lot of the issues that, that you just raised. And I'd love to kind of go through a few of these. So one of the issues for sure on everyone's mind is this inflation that was supposedly transitory, um, but certainly doesn't feel that way at the moment. And I'd love to hear just kind of how you're thinking about inflation and maybe a little bit about what it means as you think about it as a leader from a business point of view. Yeah, well, you know me well, Eric. I'm surely no economist, but I won't try to be one here today. But let me give you it from my lens and and how I think we're all learning on the job as we move forward. Because I mean, I think if you go back it's probably, what, 40 years since we've seen the type of inflationary impact we're dealing with right now. So it's real. Today, I think it's more of a question, unfortunately, around if and how you can achieve a soft landing sometime, what, early 23, maybe late 22. So on the one hand, inflation's creating challenges for growth across clients, across industries. What? Higher human capital costs? That's salaries, retention, churn, recruiting, the cost of talent acquisition right now is going through the roof, higher component material costs, logistic costs, higher borrowing costs. You know, we're a very acquisitive industry in technology and the higher borrowing costs is impacting financial flexibility for some companies to go drive that growth, that sustainability uh, as you move forward. And, and, you know, one other thing that we obviously spent a lot of time on being a multinational enterprise is currency volatility and what inflation is doing with currency around the world. I mean, two-thirds of our business is non-U.S. dollar functional. It is a real cost. It's not just translation. There's transactional implications to currency. So, you know, on the one hand, it's challenges for us. And I think that's what brings you and I into work each and every day to come and make a difference and have something challenging to go work on. On the other hand, I would tell you, as I'm telling my teams and as I'm telling many of my Uh, key clients that I talk to, I firmly believe the only deflationary force is technology. And technology now is a source, I believe, of of sustainable competitive advantage. It's the reasons why over the last few years, it's shifted, I think, Eric, number two, if not number two, maybe number three driver of GDP, only behind healthcare. So, you know, the advent of automation, AI, now moving from scaling and adoption from just, you know, many people were tinkering and experimenting. I saw a statistic um, last week that we are actually, in terms of labor force, we're two to 300,000 in excess of pre-pandemic in high-tech consulting area employment. We are 4 million plus short on labor, as you know quite well. A lot of that being in services-based industries. It's elderly health care. It's child care. It's education services. It's retail. Those people are struggling. They can't get the talent. And the cost of talent acquisition is tremendous. We've done a great piece of work that's delivering tremendous value and improved automation, accuracy rates, minimizing crew intervention, taking orders, increasing delivery productivity, and driving real ROI. So, you know, I think the best companies get stronger during this time period as you deal with these exogenous events. And I do believe the technology industry is a source of competitive advantage right now. And that's what, how we're approaching it. 
Yeah, Jim, I love the way you're thinking about technology. And in particular, two things you said um, really struck a chord. So one, this notion of the productivity required or the real way to, to fight inflation in many ways is going to be how do we use technology? And I think the other is this talent gap. The numbers I heard is during the course of COVID, we lost something like 5 million people from the U.S. workforce, some of which will never come back, right? One of the things I heard was about a million to a million and a half was baby boomers that sort of left you know, the workforce a little bit early. And I, I don't think that's co- they're coming back. So how do you fill that workforce? Jim, the last thing, if you will, in, in this section, uh, before we take a break, I think it's tied to this inflation, but supply chains. And I think every time we think we're making progress, there's another disruption, whether it's you know zero COVID in China and the impact on the supply chain, whether it's the capacity of the semiconductor industry, how do we think about supply chains and what's what's going on today? And I think equally, you know, how do we think about the way this is going to evolve? Yeah, it's a great question overall, because I mean, we're all dealing with this because supply chains are impacting every industry, but globally in all industries, it's been a force to react to both the multitude of compounding challenges over the last two and a half years. Let's just take a step back and see what all of us have had to deal with, right? From pervasive issues like the pandemic that we unfortunately all got into, uh, you know, a little over two years ago, to natural disasters, to global semiconductor constraints, to now, unfortunately, the war in Ukraine, to current tactical issues that we're dealing with every single day. And the way we focus it, I have responsibility for supply chain within IBM, as I talked about earlier, organizations that were already on a path to leverage data, AI, automation, and digitization, absolutely, I think, are demonstrating resiliency and agility better than others through these challenges. And I think that's the critical factors for enabling sustainable growth as we go forward. So things that we've been doing within IBM to minimize disruptions is one, I take this as an opportunity. Um, again, I, I have the transformational role. I have the operational role in addition to the CFO role on the financial side and the strategy role is I look at it across our business model and practices as a forcing function to prioritize and focus on mission critical functions. We look at it to understand product pricing optimization in light of this and how you deal with supply chains. And finally, you know, you use this is a forcing function on enterprise-wide transformation to get better. Fantastic. With that, we're going to take a quick break before diving in on the next section on talent and implications on talent that we're seeing today. All right, we are back. We're going to spend a little bit of time on this notion of uh, inclusive talent strategy and sustainability. Jim, I know IBM has been incredibly involved in workforce development, um, and it's both inside of IBM, but frankly, you do it in the communities with which you operate, which I think is something very admirable. I'd love to kind of just dive in a little bit on this and see what you're seeing in terms of workforce and trends around it. And I know one of the things that everyone talked about last year was this great resignation and what that meant for you know the retention of talent, the attraction of talent, what that meant in terms of diversity of talent. And just would love to see you know what you've witnessed personally and how you all think about it and as you as a leader as well. Yeah, Eric, great question. And it's something I'm very, very passionate about. I mean, you think about IBM, high value, innovated IT-based company at its core, It's built on innovation as a key thesis, and it's built on human capital. It's people. 
And people, I truly believe, it's not a cliche, I truly believe is only this sustainable competitive advantage as you move forward. But before I address the question specifically, I've had a lot of this discussion with my teams here across IBM. I'd like to actually propose a different point of perspective on this term, great resignation. In fact, more of a reframing, I think. I believe this is an era of the great reevaluation I'd like to call it, instead of the great resignation. Why? I think employees, employees, as I said earlier, are all reevaluating the type of work they do and when and where they want to work and the careers they want to have. I think these last couple of years, when I talked about being challenging personally and professionally, people have been through a lot and it's, it's forced them to reevaluate what they want out of life, what they want out of the professional career as they move forward. Now, people expect, I think, something in return from employers. And that is to be transparent about the purpose of work around flexibility and around career mobility. And that's themes that we see in IBM here today. They want to see a genuine commitment to diversity and inclusion programs. You know, our HR team, and I think companies all around every industry need to follow employees lead and reevaluate how the company is meeting employees evolving needs. We've kind of coined something here in IBM about invest in you to re-recruit. Pretty important term about quote unquote, re-recruit your employees. How much time do we spend re-recruiting our talent, our personnel and selling that value proposition of purpose, culture, and what a company means? You know, IBM, I think it's a hotbed of opportunity. 170 countries, we operate in 17 different industries. We got six different major lines of business, uh, a whole vast array of experiences that people can get. People want to understand what is that career optionality and mobility overall. And third, becoming very, very important now is flexibility. Um, and that is that is beyond, I would say, return to work. I actually even, I don't like that term return to work because you know, it kind of alludes that people are not working. People are working. They're just working from anywhere. And I think flexibility is important. We've always had flexibility in IBM, even pre-pandemic. But I think it's more about workplace experience now and what people are looking for. So continuous learning, career mobility, flexibility, and the culture and the purpose of a company, I think is what's really at top of mind for the IBMers around the world in getting at this reframing of the great reevaluation. I love this notion of the reevaluation, but and some other things you hit on, like this notion of purpose. I think the connection people have to an organization or frankly to any team is much more around they, they feel committed to the purpose, right? Are they waking up every day and doing something they believe in, they have passion for? And when they do that, right, they want to do more of it, right? You don't see those people leave. And I love this notion of re-recruit. The other thing that we, I happened to be at this dinner last night at Davos and, and um, it was very US oriented, much like the conversation we're having today. And the topic was something you just picked up on. It was this whole question of how do I think about remote, hybrid, in-person, right? And there's diverging views, right? There's, the, there's some out there that say we can only, you know, build the culture we want, develop the people we want, et cetera, if we are all there five days a week. And I heard equally on the other end of the story, which is actually 
Why wouldn't we like, we've done it for two, two plus years. It's clearly done. Okay. Why don't we give people a lot more flexibility? And then everyone sort of sits there and goes, I don't like the word hybrid. So is that really what we mean? Cause I don't like, how do we, how do we get to the right balance? And I'd love to hear how just you're thinking about that and kind of the yeah. experience and what you've seen so far. I don't like the return to work. I, I, as I stated earlier, I think it all boils down to something I said earlier, which is purpose. I think it starts with purpose, you know, hybrid, flexible, work from anywhere. I think what people are really yearning for, number one, they want to work for a company that has a sense of purpose and is good for the world. I think you have to start with that cultural framework and what people are looking for, which is sense of purpose. You have a core set of values and do you have behaviors, i.e. leadership that exemplifies how the company really should be ran? So I, to me, I think that's the most important thing right now. It's not hybrid. Whatever. By the way, with that is a purpose on why and where at work. So some companies that went out, you have to be in two days a week. Some companies that went out and said, we want you in three days a week, four days a week. We have not on purpose, went out with a hard line date or period of when people need to be in. Why? Because it goes back. I think it's it's different for every discipline, every function, every work process in the company. And you have to align that value proposition back to your employees. You have to align it back to a purpose on why. We think co-creation is important. We think creativity is important. But many tasks can be done, as you said, we proved it the last two years. I mean, as CFO, when we all, what, within 48 hours, we took 350,000 people remote, and we didn't miss a beat. As we all know, that happened in the early part of March, right, of 2020. We went through in the beginning of April, less than one month later, we closed all of our general ledgers around 170 countries in the world, everyone working remotely. And that was like an eye opener, right? As a CFO, as I said earlier, when the pandemic hurt, what, what naturally our, our mindset went to, man, what's the lack of productivity and efficiency we're going to lose, um, you know, in addition to liquidity, operational stability, balance sheet, and all that. Reality, I become a converter. I, I've actually seen productivity increase over the last two and a half years. But what the challenge is, you know, when you talk about the great reevaluation is people have reevaluated what they want out of a company. And you have to have that value proposition of that core purpose and a set of values of what it means to them that when they come in each and every day, whether it's into their home office, work office, client office, wherever it's at, that they can make a difference. The thing that it also that I often think about is I think we can create a much more inclusive work environment with this level of flexibility. I got to drive my kid to school. I can do that now a lot more readily because I have the flexibility of where I'm going to be that day. And I might not have to make that 45 or an hour long commute to the office. And so I, I think there's a lot more that we can do. I also think this notion of teams need to decide what is the right working model for them. There's no reason why as leaders, we have to decide for everyone. And so I, I really do agree with where you've gone with this, which is the flexibility and kind of letting the teams decide. And, and I think that, by the way, is what maybe hybrid really gets redefined as. It's team-based and what's right for that team as opposed to this kind of in-person and not in-person or physically at least. One last thing before we take a break, and it is a bit of a non-sequitur, but I'm going to go there anyway, which is sustainability, right? Um, as CFOs, you know, we are being hit with 
a whole bunch of new regulation and reporting requirements. You know, we've looked at what we think it takes to get to net zero um, and most of the way towards the one and a half degree path. And it looks like, oh, between now and 2050, it's $9 trillion per year, um, which is roughly 50% of corporate profits. What does this mean to, to IBM? How are you looking at it, both in terms of your responsibilities as a corporate or a corporate citizen, but I think equally is, you know, what types of opportunities does this create as we all have to rethink kind of our role in the world and, and making it better for our kids and our grandkids and their kids? So, I mean, reality is sustainability has always been a focus, at least at the IBM company for decades. You know, we've always talked about stakeholder value and that is share, that's many different constituencies, shareholders, clients, suppliers, communities we operate in. And that's how Thomas Watson Sr. built the IBM company with the core set of values. But to your point, sustainability, rightfully so, has been elevated the last few years. In fact, just getting prepared for this discussion here tonight, uh, and by the way, our board meeting uh, next week, you know, the World Economic Forum, i.e. Davos, uh, you know, pertinent to where you're at, Eric, has argued that the top five business risks are all related to environment. Sustainability has a business imperative, and it's crucial to driving the resiliency and agility the businesses need in a world where change is constant. You know, so for us, as, as I said, you know, at IBM, it's living our purpose of being the catalyst, makes the world work better. You know, our values of trust, transparency, ethical leadership guide the work that I do each and every day. But as CFO, I'm always thinking about growth. You know, sustainability becomes front and center for all business leaders today. We actually do many different studies with our consulting group around our Institute of Business Value. We actually just completed this year's annual CEO study, 3,000 plus CEOs from around the world, many different industries over, overall. And it was interesting what came out this year in that sustainability is a higher priority than ever before on corporate agendas. Roughly half of the CEOs say increasing sustainability is one of their highest priorities and recognized as a business imperative and growth driver. More why you and I as CFOs spend our time on this because it's real. And more than half of those CEOs cite sustainability as among their greatest challenges in their next two to three years, an increase of like 70% from last year's survey. And over 80%, this was the one that got me, over 80% of the CEOs believe that a company's sustainability investments will produce improved business results and better ROI as they move forward. But just under, Eric, a quarter of those CEOs are saying that they're implementing today, which leads to the question, why? Well, you know, as I got into the CEO study, over half of the respondents said, Lack of data. I mean, we've heard these things before as CFOs, right? Lack of data, lack of standards, lack of segmentation, lack of governance. No surprise to any of us. The second most common is technology barriers, lack of architecture. All this leads to unclear ROIs, economic investments. So that's what's got me excited. As a a, uh, technology CFO, the investments we've been making in our capital allocation, both organically and inorganically, building out sustainability practices around our consultant business transformation services. We've actually acquired a couple of companies, most recently being Invisi, that gives us a, a sustainability dashboard that leverages our software 
uh, asset management capability, our supply chain uh, capability. So I think there's a lot of opportunities. But to the core of your question, sustainability is real. I fully support it. It's about time that it continues to get elevated. And I think it's coming upon us as CFOs to how we turn this in to a competitive advantage for all of us. And I'm excited about it. I think we probably live at a moment of uncertainty with external shocks that are just unfamiliar with all of us, right? The level of inflation, the supply chain challenges obviously linked, the level of you know geopolitical conflict in the world. I mean, I certainly haven't lived through a war that's quite like this. Obviously, we've got these natural disasters. All of that, I think, is just making uh, about civil unrest. I mean, just you, you keep going and you say it's one of those where the world keeps throwing punches, if you will, for us to, to handle. And I think what that means is, frankly, we as leaders have to be resilient. And I think as individuals, I think each and every one of us has to learn to be resilient. And I'm not sure that I think about that enough, but I think this conversation made me think a lot about what it means for me to be more resilient. I think the second is this notion of um, perp, you know, talent and how do you how do you invest in your talent, this notion of re-recruitment, right? We have this huge opportunity to make the people that we've already kind of brought into our organizations really excited about what we get to do every day and that they get to live purpose with what we have, but do it in a way that fits their needs with flexibility. Um, I think that really kind of stuck out for me. And then I think this last bit around, look, we have an obligation to leave the world better than we found it. And and we're not on a path to do that. I think if we're not asking the questions and we're not starting to take action, because we know that there are some no regret actions we can begin to take, then I think we've sort of done a disservice. So um, with that, Jim, I got three rapid ones for you. So the first is your favorite book or article that you've read recently that excites you about sustainability and inclusiveness. Oh, God. Great question. Um, so I'm going to give a shout out to some of your McKinsey colleagues. So All right, I love they'll it. be listening in. I'm just starting. This shouldn't surprise you given you know me and my passion around leadership, this is, I, I think, to, to your earlier point when you started with you and me, is the athletic background in us. I'm a very big believer in the power of people and leadership. But I'm reading the book, CEO Excellence, What Distinguishes the Best Leaders from the Rest. Actually, tremendous book. And it talks about CEOs, how they do their job, extensive interviews, J.P. Morgan Chase, General Motors, Sony, you name it. It's great. I can't wait to finish it. So good shout out to your team. Awesome. Thanks for the shout out. Second question, what is the one thing you would convey that gives you optimism around kind of our ability to be more sustainable, more inclusive and growing? Well, I think in reality, it's conversations like this. Just having this on the agenda for yourself, for me here, and I know many of our colleagues that are listening in, it is top of mind of every board's agenda right now. Davos, you just talked about over time. Uh, But I think the, the communication, the broad recognition from corporations at large in today's world around purpose, around values, around behaviors, I think that's what excites me and makes me optimistic, as you know. Always a glass half full guy. I love it. And then lastly, what's the one thing listeners can do today to help to promote and frankly make a difference to create the sustainable, inclusive and growing world or growing United States that we're hopeful? Well, it's like many other things. Uh, It starts with education. It starts with getting engaged. Growth starts with personal development. Once you can engage, personalize what this means and why it's important, then you can mobilize an organization. And I think that at its core, that's, that's the role of a CFO. Thank you to all of our listeners for joining us. 
If you'd like to share feedback or an idea for a future episode, please email us at insidethestrategyroom at mckinsey.com. Finally, if you'd like to receive alerts on our latest insights, just sign up on our podcast collection page on mckinsey.com slash ITSR or follow us on Twitter at MCK Strategy or connect with us on LinkedIn on the McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice page. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to having you join us again next week inside the Strategy Room.